Good morning, good morning. Listen, if you are um, next to your spouse or a close friend, I just want you to put your arm around them right now. If you're not married to them or know them well, don't do it because then it's just going to get awkward. Um, but I just want us to pray. Father, I love you for just the church. Thank you for just family and friendships. And we just give you big thanks just for this moment uh, right now that that we can take just the next 20 to 30 minutes and just as, as a family of faith, just hear the word. And so we just give you a lot of thanks just for the opportunity. Thank you for this person on my left and my right. I bless them today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Listen, if you are new to our church or you haven't been here in a couple of weeks, we are in a series um, where we're talking about real love in an angry world. And uh, we're focusing a lot on the real love part. And it may seem strange, you know, to uh, to come to a church and think that, man, this guy's going to talk to me today about love because isn't that something that we should already have nailed down? You know, we should already, if we're people of faith, we kind of get love and that we should love uh, other people and whatnot. But today, I hope that we take this to a new, a new uh, le- level of discipleship. And so um, last week, uh, we talked about uh, real love. And we kind of focused on the, on the Father's love and his ability uh, to step into the sickest of environments and just rescue the ruined. And so uh, we're just thankful for the love of God, his unconditional love for us. Can I get an amen right there? Um, that we're just thankful for a God who can just reach down into just the darkest places and pull you and I from it just for the fact that he loves us. So we talked about those two big guardrails last week, a loving God and loving people, and we focused on God's love last week. And so I'm going to focus on loving people this week. Um, you know, oftentimes I will talk about loving people, and I will talk about relationships and the importance of them during life group launch um, week. But again, today what I want to do is is try to take this and drill down some and talk to us about why it's so important that we have people in our lives who believe in God and love God and are running this race with you. And it's not just going to be my own opinions today. Um, I I want to give you some solid scripture from some great uh, men in the Bible who believe the same thing. Hey, it's important. We got to know each other. Okay, so I just want to focus on that this morning. So I just want to start with something this morning, and it's something that every one of us have in common, no matter uh, the race, no matter the gender, no matter how long you've been a Christian or not, and maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you still have this in common, and it's this. We all want to be known for something. We all have, have this innate desire to be known for something, and maybe you've given this no thought, maybe you've given it too much thought, but the truth is every single one of us in this place, we want to, at some place in us, want to be known for something. And so if I took that and I made it a question, I would say this, what do you want to be known for? What do you want to be known for? Okay. And so in the spirit of transparency, I thought if I'm going to ask this question, then I myself need to answer it too. And so what I'm going to do, I'm, I'm going to start by talking about mine, and then I'm going to start with this section here, and we're just going to start with Robbie, and we're going to go around the whole, pl- I'm kidding. Um, so I'm going to start with mine, 
And I just got two things. And the first one is the obvious thing. I think every man in the building today, you want to be a good uh, husband and you want to be a good dad to, to your, your children. And so I kind of, I would love at some point in my life to be known in that re- regard, um, after uh, uh, several more years of, of modeling it, it well, I would like at some point in my life to be known for my wife respecting me and for my child knowing at some point in her life that she comes to this eureka moment, I was loved. Okay? Now, my dad is here. You guys give it up for my dad. He loves when I do this. So, yeah, he raised me. He deserves a standing ovation. <laughs> He always loves this. He said, listen, when I come, don't don't talk about me, okay? So what I'm going to do is talk about him. There's going to be a day, you know, when my dad passes and he leaves me more money than he leaves my sister. And and this is, this is the thing that I always say about my dad. This is one thing that he is known for. He has no enemies. When people talk to me about my dad and they say, man, he's such a great guy. I'm like, I know it. I, I can't name one person who doesn't like him. And and if you and if you don't like him, something's wrong with you. It's it's on you. It's got to be your end, okay? And so we all have that thing that we're known for, or we want to be known for. And here's what happens, though. There's a big problem when we start talking about this and thinking about being known. All right, and that is we tend to protect the real us. There, there's a real you behind the, the layers that you brought in, in here this morning, the, the persona, the, the properness, um, the fact that you got up and, and showered and, and got dressed and fixed yourself to present well. There's a real you behind that, and sometimes when we talk about being really known, we guard the real us and we pretend and so we have a tough time answering this, and there's a couple of filters that we always plug in, and it's this, what do I do when I don't measure up to others? That's the first thing. And what do I do when I don't measure up to me, to my own standards, to where I think I need to be at this particular season in my life? Am I behind? Am I on point? Um, what do people think about me? How do I want people to think about me? And then I'm going to pretend to be that person so the, that they are happy with me, and I, I want to please them. So we battle, somewhere in our human condition, we battle this tension of going, I want to be liked rather than being known. So we enjoy being liked a lot more than we like being truly known. But I think what I'm going to show you this morning is this. It's better to be known and walk through the liking process. So we tend, to, we tend to do the same thing when we don't add up to these filters of how do I measure up to others, how do I measure up to me. We all do the same thing. We pretend. We mislead. We misguide. Okay? We allow people to think what they want to think. And so we manage an image. We don't allow our true selves to come out. Now, Pastor Rick nailed this in a series a couple of years ago. He actually was approached and said, hey, will you write a book about this? And he did. But he talks about being real because fake is exhausting. And he did a whole series on, on us just being known, on saying, hey, you need to be real. Just, just let all that other stuff go because all the fake stuff, it's exhausting. 
to keep up with the image and the stories. And we know what really happened, but yet we take what really happened and we polish it and we shine it. And then we present that version of it again because we want to be liked, not because we want to be known. So we manage our image, and we do this, and when we do this, rather, we do it uh, without meaning to. We become imaginary people. So we're not a real version of ourselves. We're just an imaginary version of what we want people to think about us and perceive us and, and all of those things. Um, you know, there came this, this time in my life where I realized, it was in my, my, my teenage years, and that's a, that's a fragile, volatile season anyway, but there was this time in, in my teenage years where I realized that um, I'm doing all the things I'm doing at church just because I know I'm supposed to do those things. So, like, church for me was this social event that I go to because that's how my parents raised me. So I go to church, and I hang out with church people, and I say church things, and I have church conversations, and I say things like, bless you, love you, praying for you, okay, because that's, that's what church people do. That's what we're supposed to do. And I knew when I got to church, I was raised in a, in a Pentecostal environment, and so I, I knew I was going to clap my hands and raise my hands, and that's just what I did. But I found myself having my hands up thinking about lunch. You know, it's just, I'm raising my hands because that's what I'm supposed to do, but really in my heart I'm thinking about how hungry I am. Can we speed up this process, please? And I was just doing stuff as an image rather than just being the true me and being being known, all right? I hope that, that makes sense. And so we become imaginary people. And when we do, we cannot, it's impossible to be genuine and be imaginary at the same time. They can't coexist. You can't be, have this imaginary you living right next to a genuine, authentic you and have them coexist. Scripture even tells us that. And when we're not genuine, everything in our lives becomes ungenuine. You can't have a genuine friendship. You can't have genuine intimacy with your spouse when you are imaginary. So we start creating a gap between what we hope people think about us and what they actually think about us. Now, here's a little bit of bad news about that, okay? And here's where we're going to start drilling down. The moment that you start pretending is when you stop growing. The moment that you start pretending a version of you is the moment the real you ceases to, to grow. Okay, I'm not going to have you raise your hand because this, that would be such a rhetorical question. But I, I want you to think about it. How many of you have ever talked to a 40-year-old who acts like they are 15? I said don't raise your hand. It's on the Walker bunch over here. We talk to people and we go, wow, you are way back there in your development. <laughs> okay. I'm going to say this and I'm going to look down when I say it. Some of you are married to those people. <laughs> okay. We get into these things in our lives where we're just stuck, and we're stuck there because you've started pretending about a version of you, and the real you got left way back there somewhere. And so you stopped growing. We get older, but we don't get any better. We get older, but we don't get any deeper. We get older, but, but we don't get, and I love this word, finer. 
And I'm talking about when, when you like look at somebody and you go, they are just a fine person. Okay? So the aging process continues, but the emotional part of you, the mental part of you, the spiritual part of you is way back there. Okay? Now listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a side sermon for just a minute. The reason some of you are bored with your Christianity is because the real spiritual you has been left behind and only the fake you has continued to come to church. So the part of you that that was really reaching toward God and wanting more of God and hungry for God, you sacrificed him for the sake of the image of you. And you're not really known and you've traded that in for being liked, right? Now, all of us can pretend. It's something all of us struggle with. Every single person in the room struggles with the temptation to pretend. As parents, we want to maintain the moral authority in our homes. We And, and we, we should. We don't want our children to see us arguing. We don't want, we, we wait until our children are at a certain age or a certain level of maturation before we tell them what we did when they, when we were their age. And we say, and, and so we, we try to keep that going. We pretend that we were perfect teenagers growing up. And uh, sometimes there are people who, because I'm a pastor think that I have the playbook on parenting or the playbook on marriage or the playbook on biceps. And so I just had to make sure you guys are listening. So what happens is I'm tempted to pretend to let people uh, think I'm better than I am or smarter than I am. And that's why I have Robbie. She sets it all straight. Okay, if you ever have a gray area about me, she will tell you. Now, to make things worse, watch this. You want to think that I am who you think I am. It brings some kind of peace that I have an image, right? Let me give you an example. Let's say that I got up here and I said, hey, guys, listen. Today I'm going to start a brand new series on self-control. But before we do that, I just want to thank our lead team for pulling me out of the ball game Friday because those refs were terrible and I was cussing everybody. I was ready to fist fight and you guys had some impeccable timing. Thank you for saving me. Now let's talk about self-control. Okay, you don't want that. You like to think that guy's got it all together and you find some comfortability in those thoughts. So we all have the pressure, the pressure to pretend. And where do we pretend the most? Here. We pretend the most here. Now, you guys look great. You smell great. You look like your your marriages are healthy and your children are perfect. But I know that you are screaming at each other in the minivan all the way here. And when you got here, Mom, you turned around and said, everybody, pull it together, and let's get in here and love Jesus. Okay, I I know. I know that's what happened. It happened in my family. Okay? 
And so here's my first big thought, okay? If people don't know what you're really like, then they don't really like you. If you are not known, if you're just managing an image, people don't like you. They like who they think you are. This is what living a fake life does. It's, 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 it's trying to come in here and have it all put together in a way where we have to present well and act like we're righteous and act like we're holy and act like we have it all together because I would hate to come to a place where I'm supposed to talk about God with, with those things and not do it because I'm too busy faking everybody out. So if people don't know what you're really like, they don't really like you. Here's what they do like, a version of you. They like the Instagram version of you, the Facebook version of you, the imaginary you, the best foot forward you. That's what people are liking about you if you are not truly known, right? So all that to say this, we want to be known for something, but what we really need is to be known by someone's. Okay. We need to be known by some, by some someones. We need to stop worrying about being known for something and allow ourselves to be known by a group of someones. We really need a place where we can drop the manufactured me and just be ourselves. And marriage is a great start for this. For this. Can I get an amen? All right? That was two of you. How many of you agree that your spouse needs to know the real you? Okay? Still two of you. Today, I'm going to talk about marriage and the important, okay. Marriage is a great start for this. I go to a lot of weddings. Some of you probably do as well, and the wedding day is always happy, and it's sweet, and it's nice, and the bride is always gorgeous, and the groom uh, tears up during the vows because he feels like he has to. And uh, seriously, there's a lot of pressure on the groom to cry. Okay, things have really segued over over the years. Everyone used to watch the bride and cry themselves, and now they watch the bride and they swing back to make sure the groom is crying. And if he's not, they think he's a jerk. And so, what I'm doing when I marry people and the groom starts to cry, just lean over and I'm like, "Suck it up and be a man." Okay, and and they make vows before God. If you're married, you've been there, and everybody eats cake and drinks soda, and they dance, and they have a honeymoon. I mean, can life be any more unrealistic, okay? So you go on this honeymoon, and you play prince and princess, and everyone serves you, and then you come home, and you're hit in the face with a mortgage, and you're like, well, I thought I was going to like being married. What has happened? And if those vows that you made are not genuine, that is going to become a house of cards very quick. And so when we find people in our lives that we think are genuine and you can tell that like like they there is no fakeness about them we even have a phrase for this we we will leave them and go man those are some real people that's some real folks right there. I know Robbie and I have done this. As we've gotten gotten to know, you know, just church people and we'll go out and have dinner with people, we will leave and go man they they just seem so real. And I like that, just authentic, just talking about some of their struggles in life and what's, what's not hap- happening well. This is just, that conversation was so not Facebook. And I love it. 
And so it's so refreshing when we get around people that, that we know. And sometimes, it's my, my fault, but sometimes I get so busy doing the work of the ministry that I fail to be ministered to. And so sometimes Robbie will detect this about me, and she'll say, hey, we need to go hang out with some people. And so we'll go hang out with friends, and I always leave time with friends feeling good physically. Here's why. Because it feels good to be known. Like, like, like to genuinely be known. To not go into a group of strangers and everything has to be polished and shiny. But I mean to really laugh about the funny things happening in your marriage right, right now. Or raising your kid and how you feel like, like, like you're failing. And not, not just feel like, but you are failing. And you talk about those things, and you walk away, and you just feel like, man, I just feel like I had some really good therapy that I was, I was known, and I just kind of exposed that part of my life to some people who genuinely love me, and, and it feels good to be known, right? Now, do you want to know why I believe in the local church? Here it is, because I believe that the local church, us, you, I, this place, is supposed to be the place for that kind of knownness. You and I, this place, this gathering, is supposed to be that kind of place for knownness. This is why we are after, desperately after, de-churched people, people who have given up on it, said enough of that, I don't even want to go back to a church. Because with all that is in me, I believe that the local church can be the place where people are not judged and can be known for their true selves. When I was a kid, I would go to church and we would do what, what church pe- people do. And uh, how, how many of you grew up going to Sunday school? It's the Bible, Bible Belt. Probably a lot of you grew up going to Sunday yeah. For those of you who did not come from a Sunday school background, it was just like this 45, 50-minute period before the main event and uh, you'd go into a classroom, basically, that was siloed based upon age or interest and whatnot, and you would have a lesson, and you would have an opportunity probably to ask a question or whatever, and, and you would be discipled in small groups, and then you'd go out, and then you would, you would sing, and in some of our churches, you grew up with a choir, some of you grew up with an orchestra, and so you'd go through the, this, this worship uh, set, and, and you, you would worship, and then you'd take up an offering, and then there they would, would be word. There'd be a lot of things that we do right now, and we would do church, and then we left. And that's what church was. It was 9.45 on Sunday morning till noon. Unless the preacher went long, there was like one. The good part about that, we, you go right into a restaurant, okay? And so we, we did church, and that's what it was. And we'd come in, we'd high-five people, and we'd be very superficial with everybody. How's, how's things going? How's work? Great. I, I thought about you last week. It's so great. I love those shoes. You did great. And we, we're just superficial with everybody, and then we leave, and we come back the next week at 945, and we do the same thing over and over and over. And no one ever really knew the real us. Nobody ever talked about their mess. Nobody was ever like, like full of just genuineness, like, like come and go, man, I need, I need prayer right now because I'm about to pull my hair out over my kids. I just, I just want prayer for just wisdom and patience and all of it. I think it would have freaked the church out. 
to have somebody actually want prayer over being broken in an area of their life. You probably grew up there, up, up a little bit like that as well. So here, let me transition into the into the to the good part. Okay, you guys stay stay with me because I'm I'm gonna go somewhere really quick with this. Here's the best part of the message. I'm getting there. In the first century, there was a first church, and that first church had a first pastor, and his name was James. He was the brother of Jesus. And James tells us in James chapter 5, one of the strongest but most bypassed and overlooked and archived scriptures of our Christianity. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. And this is, is a so that scripture. There's several in the Bible. I love this one. So that you may be healed. And that's powerful, y'all. Now, what I'm not trying to say, I'm not trying to preach Catholicism. I'm not saying you need to confess your sin and that person is going to abolish it. No, that only Jesus Christ can do that. Can I get an amen? Only Jesus Christ can, can do that. But there is something very spiritual about this. Confess your sin to each other and then pray for each other. And guess what? There's going to be healing come. It's huge. But the trap that you and I fall in because we, we were so used to Sunday school worship offering words, Sunday school worship offering word. We got so caught up in this trap that we hear something like this and we say, hey, no way, I'm going to confess my sin to somebody. All I got to do is talk to the man upstairs. I'm not doing, no, I don't want to do anything with anybody else. I'm not going to confess anybody. But the underlying statement that you are making is this. I don't want to be known. I don't want anybody to know the real me. If you know the real me, you don't even let me in the building. If you knew the real me, like you'd, you'd be shocked. Like if, if you knew the struggles that happens up here, oh, man, I'd be so embarrassed. Those are the things that we say, I'm not, I'm not going to confess that stuff. Now, I will do all of those cute things. I, I will meet with you and say, yeah, you know what? The wife and I, we, we argue some, but we're really, really? Okay, good. Let's just talk to the Lord about that. Because we don't, we don't want to be awkward, right? So we'll just cover the areas that we know everybody's got a problem with. You know, little Johnny, sometimes he's got an attitude with me. Can we just pray over that? We'll pray that that demon comes out of him. Let's just pray that. Uh, Father, your words, we just cast out the devils in Jesus' name, right? We do all these cute things because it keeps it safe, and that's not what James is talking about. James is saying, listen, there's a part of you in your walk with God that's ugly. It's ugly. And you need somebody in your life to say, man, listen, I'm being real with you, and I'm thinking things that I shouldn't think. And they're turning into behaviors that I shouldn't be doing. And I need you to pray over me as a brother in Christ. I need you to put your hands on me right now and let's pray to God about this. And the Bible says when that happens, something spiritual happens and healing comes to you so that you may be healed. So here's, here's the second big thing. There's extraordinary power in being known. There's extraordinary power 
in us not being fake, in us not being imaginary, in us not being the Instagram version of ourselves. There's something extraordinary about being around believers who love and care for each other. Hear me today. This is what our church must be like if we are truly going to love a community. We can draw a crowd doing all kinds of things. A circus draws a crowd. But what truly makes an impact with people is love, is loving them and loving ourselves enough to not go through the whole race of our Christianity being a fake person, right? Let me show you something else. Hebrews chapter 10, watch this, verse 24. And let us consider, meaning ponder, think, develop a strategy, how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, he says. He says, you you need to spend some time thinking about how how you're going to champion each other. Keep keep in mind, this is the first year of the first church by the first pastor, probably one of the first messages being preached. And I only tell you that context because I think it was important enough for James to go, before we get any of this started, I want all of you to know how important it is that you find some people of faith to love deeply and confess your sin to and have prayer with because there's healing in it, right? So let's, let's just, let's just let, let the rubber meet the road for just a minute. You will not confess your sins to somebody in here this morning. Do you know that? Why? Because it would be weird. Imagine somebody right now turning to you and going, hey, you know what, this message is really hitting home, and I just need to tell you something like right now. So like stop listening to him, and I need to tell you something really big, and this is about to blow your mind. So focus on me. And let's just start talking, okay? I want to tell you something really weird that's going on, really hard. You wouldn't do that because it disrupts. You, you won't do it in, in this setting. Do you know why we, we can't take a Sunday morning to consider and strategy and develop a strategy about how to spur one another on? Because we want to enjoy the corporate aspect of it, of us worshiping together and getting the word to to together we we love the togetherness of it so here's the strongest thing i'm going to say this morning and if you are that person that has to have one takeaway to chew on for the whole day this is it okay because you're not you're not i haven't heard this said in a while and we all need need to hear it from time to time here it is some of the best things the church does is not done at church So some of the best things that we do, that God called us to, we can't do here. The spurring on of each other, the, the championing, the, the, the loving each other through it, the, the confessing of sin to each other, those are things that we're not going to do in rows. Those are things that we're going to do because of relationships. And you can't, you can't do that here, but you can do it over coffee. And you can do it in your living room. And you can enjoy those moments and intentionally create those moments of discipleship because they can't happen here. So again, some of the best things that our church will ever do will never do here in this building. It'll be done in our homes. It'll be done in in the marketplace. Okay, Now don't, don't, don't get me wrong. 
I love in here. I make a living in here. I think in here is awesome. I love us being together every single week in here. But we're missing out on some of the greatest things our church will ever do because we all believe that, it, that it's all done in here, and it's not true. And you need to hear your pastor give you freedom on that. The best thing we'll ever do is done in you when you leave. Let me hit you with Galatians, and then I'm, I'm going to land this thing quick. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, he says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should beat them heavily with a bat. So it says, how many of you have ever gone, how many of you have ever, have ever gone to that church, right? You leave and you're like, my God, I don't feel so good. <laughs> I don't think I'm doing very well as a Christian. <laughs> no, it says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. I love that. Bring them back in. Restore them Gently. Again, the restoration of someone does not happen in the rows. Can you imagine how creepy it would be if, say, if this morning the person next to you looked, looked at you and said, Hey, I'm going to help restore you gently. <laughs> That'd be so weird. I just made every guest really uncomfortable. It's a winner. Again, we're not going to do that in here. We're going to do that in relationship. We're going to restore people to God, the de-churched, the unchurched, people that have quit and given up and don't think it's worthwhile anymore. That's our calling. Galatians 6 and verse 2 says, carry each other's burdens. Listen, if if I'm going to carry your burden, I've got to know what it is. I've got to hear it. The church, uh, the reason, one, one of the reasons, the biggest reasons why we have archived this doctrine is because we've messed it up. Because somewhere over the years, from the first century until now, we lost trust with each other. It's why we all felt like we had to be polished and pristine when, when we come in here. It wasn't just a courtesy, it's an image thing. I remember the very first year as a pastor, I, I told people, I said, I don't, I don't want you wearing a tie to church, and if you do, I'm going to cut it off. I'm going to have a pair of scissors in my pocket, and if you show up with a tie, I'm going to cut it off. And it was so shocking. What? Like, Jesus wore a tie. I mean, you're asking us to not do what the Savior of the world did? That wasn't just because I wanted to create a style guide. It was because I wanted to break through a barrier of saying that we have to be so polished when we come. And if you want to dress nice, great. Okay, I love it to see someone who's dressed sharp, and I love the guy who's here this morning in shorts and flip-flops. I love it. Jesus loves it. But we've messed this up because we have shared with each other our stuff. And then people had spiritual abuse. I don't know if you've ever heard this statement before. Hear hear me real, real quick. Some of you have had spiritual abuse. You trusted somebody and they used your confession 
to feed some need of gossip. They got on the phone. They called another friend and said, listen, don't, don't tell Sarah I'm calling you. But she just talked to me, and I think she really needs us. And we just need to, need to talk. But what's, what's going on? Well, I'm not supposed to say anything, but... And then it opens it up. And just like that, we spiritually abuse somebody. This has got to be a practice that is done with discipline, that we understand that we are called to this. Hear me today. We are called to be trusted. We are called to be in covenant with each other. We are called to carry the burdens of each other with responsibility that we should be able to go one to another and champion each other and pray over each other in complete confidentiality. That is what it's all about, to confess and pray and be healed. Okay? I'm going to stop with this little little nut, nut, nugget of information. When, the first time somebody ever came to me and actually had this kind of moment with me, it was a friend, and he came to me and he said, Kevin, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about girls way too much to the point that it's bothering me, and I just, need, I just need you to talk about it with me for a little bit. And, and my first, it, I was so taken aback that my first thought was, you just need to talk to the Lord about that. So thanks for sharing. You go talk talk to God. And I tried to, I mean, get out of that fast. And the reason that that is so awkward is because we've lost it. We've completely archived this doctrine. And sadly, and you, you, you can agree or disagree, but it could be because we've archived this, we're not being healed the way we could be. Because we've, we've tucked it away, because we've protected so much, because everything in our minds has to be shiny and polished and unreal and Facebook to death and Instagram to death and everybody see the great vacations and meals and how perfect our family pics were. And, and the whole thing is just a shell to protect the real part of me that's really trying to get to heaven. So my challenge to our church this morning is this. If we're going to be a genuine church that affects this community... We're, we're going to have to bring this back to the house of God. And we're going to have to learn to carry the responsibility of confession and prayer and expect healing in our lives. So we need to find our tribe, find some people, make a friend, make yourself friendly, and let God bring a healing into a deep place. I challenge you today to be known, not, not just be liked, but to be known, okay? Why don't you bow your heads with me this morning? A couple things, and I'm going to pray. First, some of you are in this room today, and you are so lonely that you have isolated yourself to the point where you have zero people in your life. I don't know why. I don't know how you came to be in that particular place, but it's just true. Maybe it was hurt. Maybe it's because you just prefer being by yourself. And then there's another group of you who things have gone so well in your life for so long that you have forgotten what it's like to be needed.
And you need to get into community because we are only as strong as the families that attend here. We're not strong because we've got talented worship. We're not strong because we have a real pretty building. We're only strong because you are healthy and you are the church and you come here and you represent Jesus through the vehicle of our church. So I pray strength over you today. Let me pray, Father, I love you. I pray for every lonely person.